0: Hi, I'm Caroline Stephen, Financial Journalist. Today's episode of Talking Trading is focused on what traders can learn from elite sports people and elite sports leaders. Our guest today on the show is Cameron Schwab. Cameron was appointed CEO at the Richmond Football Club at the age of 24. He was the youngest CEO in the history of the AFL. He spent the next 25 years as a CEO of three different AFL clubs. And it was 25 years of intense education in the ruthless environment of elite sport, where successes and failures are played out in the public forum, usually to the tune of hundreds of thousands of people. Now, whether or not you're an AFL supporter, whether or not you live in Victoria, interstate or overseas, in today's interview, we gain a bullseye view into elite sport and the way it operates, and the lessons that Cameron had to share on his 25 years of CEO leadership. I hope you enjoy what he has to say. But first, let's hear Louise Bedford in Mind Power on Staying True to Your Best Habits.
1: Are you loving improving your wealth mindset with the Talking Trading Podcast? Gosh, we love bringing these episodes to you. One of the parts about effective trading methods or actually any happiness technique is that things must be convenient for you. If things are very difficult for you to do, then you're probably not going to do them and that is where you just allow procrastination into your life. For example, one of the things that I try to make easy for myself is going to the gym. So I make sure the night before I go to the gym, I lay out my gym clothes. And that way it's just an easy tumble out of bed, put on my clothes, and then once I'm dressed in my gym clothes, I sort of have to go to the gym. Now what can you do to make your trading more convenient? One of the things might be that you set up things like appropriate tabs so that when you open up your computer, you have your trading platform available at a flick of the button. It could be that you've got your Excel spreadsheet so you can do your position sizing easily accessible, perhaps in your most recent documents where you can actually open up that Excel spreadsheet at just a mouse click. Now have a think about what it can mean to you to make sure that trading becomes more convenient in your life. We are a sum total of the habits that we create and it is up to us to create effective habits so that our life can just move on to that next wealth level. I can guarantee you Unless you make trading convenient, you will procrastinate and you'll miss that next signal which will mean that you could miss out on a fortune. Spend a little bit of time organising your trading desk. Make sure that you've got an area that allows you to think and to contemplate as well as to trade effectively and if necessary put a do not disturb sign up on your office door so that you don't get unintended interruptions from your family. Initially you might think that that sounds a bit harsh but I can tell you when I'm with my family I am with them 100% and when I'm with my trading screen I am with the markets 100%. Everybody benefits Every aspect of your life can be improved by making things more convenient so that you can stay true to your best habits.
2: Hi, I'm Rick Schnabel. I'm the author of The Power of Beliefs, and I listen to Talking Trading.
0: Cameron Schwab, CEO of Three AFL Football Clubs. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading.
2: It's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Cameron, you tasted a lot of success very early on in your life, but you ended up running foul at the ruthlessness of sport. Some of our traders from the mentor program, they experience success straight after they get out of the mentor program course. What would be your advice to them?
2: I think the first thing is not align your success and your failures to who you are. That would be the, the first part of it. And I think perhaps I made that mistake early, where as a young I was a young CEO, so I was twenty four when I first became a CEO. That's and, super, super young. And yeah, and and probably you know, I, I was experienced in one aspect of it is in that I I'd grown up with a game of football, so and I'd worked in football or even in my young working life up until that point and, and probably had enough pure technical ability in regard to the game itself and and perhaps the industry, but not so much the industry in a um, The ruthlessness of the industry. Um, But I also was going through what a lot of, you know. Particularly young males go through is that you have a tendency to align every aspect of who you are to what you do, and and when at different times that didn't work out the way that it it could have, or in in even if it should have, you know, it can be re, uh, sport can be ruthless for the all the right and wrong reasons. You know, there were times when I allowed it to I allowed it to get too personal in in, in, in regard to my own self esteem, and uh, you know, as I got older, I worked out that. Um, you know, the those things were going to happen, and you know, if I was in a position where I was going to make decisions on on other people, and that's what CEOs required to do, well, from time to time, decisions are going to be made, you know, on me, and and worked out that I wasn't always going to be in control of that that situation, uh, and allowing myself to just uh, manage the things that I could control as best as I could uh, became somewhat of a mantra for me,
0: Cam let 's talk about the ruthlessness of the elite sporting environment. You have personally been on the wrong end of this ruthlessness. Tell us about that
2: well it 's ruthless for all the reasons that elite sport should be ruthless one it 's called elite, so therefore it 's not for everyone and and' it 's also a win loss situation so each each week uh, you either walk away uh, as the winner or the loser of of the game and even in games where you know, you may have had a uh, a small loss where you, hadn't, you tended to to reflect on. Why that happened in a way which is much different than a small small win, when really all that happened was the siren happened to go when you were in front or you were behind. It was not necessarily a, a different performance and such. So I didn't play. I was CEO of um, three clubs. The good thing was I had a cousin, Peter Schwab. Who played about 200 games for Hawthorne and, and we're around about the same age. And we, we somehow morphed into the same person at some stage in people's minds. And I, I normally I normally take a lot longer to correct that fact than I just did with uh, yourself. I normally roll with that for a period time you know let, let people think I might have played at the, the elite level but he played in a, three uh, premierships at Hawthorne so he was a terrific player but just even in in your own analysis so as a CEO you're you're ultimately having to judge performance and, and performance in at, at all levels and, and performance means in an elite sporting club you have to be able to judge the performance of the of the football team and from time to time you don't feel that uh, even though I'd come from a football background, there are times when you didn't feel that equipped to to make uh, that judgment, but you you were still forced to make that judgment because there was a game to be played and a season to prepare for, or the relentlessness of it all. So you so you're buying in on that right from the very start, and you have to understand that's the game you're actually a part of. And um, and and I probably you know at different times reflect more on the decisions that I made, which were perhaps had that sort of sense of ruthlessness, if you like, rather than necessarily me having been impacted by them personally and sometimes I look back not not with a with not regrets probably too strong a word, but almost it's almost embarrassment in in some ways about how you felt the need to be as ruthless as you actually were when really it wasn't required and uh, so I um that's that's probably my the fifty three year old self talking to the twenty five year old me, and uh, and I would say to I'd say to that person, you know, just slow down a bit, slow down a bit, and uh, you you don't need to push it as hard as you did.
0: So in not needing to push it as hard as you did, how did you develop the resilience to recover?
2: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. I think I was probably fortunate in that I knew what I was signing up for, so therefore that context. Is there, and as I mentioned before, it is called elite sport. And we would regularly have conversations with with people, whether they were young athletes or people working in the industry, and 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 we 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 would say this this might not be for you, you know, this mightn't be your thing because of what actual it actually requires. And that doesn't make you a lesser person; it's just mightn't be your thing. And often people would come back to you and say, well, yeah, I actually have probably realised that now. It's it's not my thing. I'm going to go and do something else. And that was positive ultimately a positive thing for them I developed I think uh, good habits around care for myself and family as much as I could uh, but that took a long time Uh, I think probably initially I, I thought the answer to building resilience was just to work harder and that rarely is the outcome that you need
0: how very um, male.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it was yeah, very much so. And 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 because I was young when I took it on, uh, my role models were very much of that. Because I was I was a young CEO. the 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 era of the people who were my my peers in job title, but not my peers in life, because they were a lot older than I was than I was were people who that would be their natural response. And and their also natural response was you had to be a real hard ass, you had to be tough. And mm-hmm. and I also found quite you know, within a short period of time, that wasn't my natural inclination anyway. Whilst I, I did talk about the ruthlessness of it before, I, I realized that um, if I was going to lead in a way which was anything related to the person I was, I had to I had to do it differently to what my peer group uh, my titled peer group were doing that that revelation came to me you know uh, uh, probably I think probably seven or eight years into my leadership career and and it was it was a, like a big weight had been lifted off my shoulder and, and a lot of the things we now talk about shoulders a lot of things we now talk about in regard to leadership uh, were only just coming into vogue and, and things like care you know just having shown care it was actually either, you know, in those days, you're either in or you're out. If you're in, you behave like this. If you're out, well, you're out. We don't care for you. It's just a – it was just a probably different stage. And I'm pleased the game has grown up a lot and I'm pleased that probably commercial life has grown up a lot. But you also know that it's going to be um, – you're going to have to be built for it. So, so probably my first stage of resilience was working out that I didn't have to behave like someone other than me, um, and behaving in a way which was consistent with who you were meant that you didn't, you weren't carrying around the stresses of the role nearly as much as you perhaps were, and uh, and I felt much more comfortable in my own skin. Great
0: traders take wins and losses in their stride. Experienced traders take wins and losses in their strides. Is the same true for elite sports people?
2: No, no, we're not very good at that. Um, you do you move on fairly quickly, but you, you know, you're, there's a lot of noise around. So if we win or lose, uh, there's so if um, as say, so of uh, Richmond, if you're you're playing Collingwood on the weekend and, and your team wins and they lose, well there's there's you know, there's um, you know, you've got 300,000 of one and 300,000 of the other who are either happy or sad You know, as a, as a result of that outcome. You need to move on quickly, but you realise that the noise will probably take a little bit longer to move on, as in the the rest of the the, the world, uh, the sporting world, probably won't have got over whatever the result, good or bad, until the Thursday and uh, whereas you have to be able to move on within a couple of hours of the game, and my, my wife would often say to me that when you know when when you win, I, I don't see much of a difference from you when you win or you lose, you know, and that was, uh, and I think probably because when you lost you felt disappointed, but when you win you just felt relieved, and they're probably not necessarily. Dramatically different emotions to feel, and uh, so whenever we won, it was just a sense of relief. I never felt every so often you'd have a win, which was just one out of the box, and it was a lot of excitement and uh, elation because you'd come from a long way back or something like that. But most of the time, it was just a sense of relief.
0: It's true, you're dealing with three hundred thousand people's emotions.
2: You are, and and it's it's not. You, look, sometimes you feel that absolutely, and other times you feel quite removed from that. It's uh, it's interesting. There's there's there were times when. You know you're part of a club which was in a rebuild phase, and and you're you're playing in almost front of empty stadiums, and then, yeah, you know, you know, three years later, you, all of a sudden you're in a good phase, you know, where where people are wanting to come and watch you play, and and the stadiums are full, and that that's a great feeling, you know, because you feel as though you may have made some contribution to that, you know, to the that that what we're putting out on the field is now such that it's compelling for people to. Give you their support in a really in a, in a physical way, and you hear the noise, and you and you see the excitement in people's faces. And um, but we also realise that when people go go and watch a game of footy, it often brings out the best and worst in their own behaviours as well. You know, you'll you'll be you know, because you're asking people to emotionally attach with the club, and you're almost challenging them to emotionally attach with the club. And then when you when you when you have something as deep as all of that, well, if it doesn't go the way that they want, well, often it can bring out the worst in them. But most of the time, it's it's that that was a feeling. Probably the the fundamental thing that I always got from the game was was knowing that you were being a part of something which was a major part of people, a lot of people's lives, and. And often it would be third and fourth generation support of your team. And uh, in the case of the Melbourne Football Club, it goes back to 1858. So it's, you could have fifth and sixth generation Melbourne supporters. Well, there's not fifth and sixth generation many things in Australia other than that. And so that was, a, that was something I was really proud of in, in regard to that role.
0: You say that the game does not give up its rewards easily. And I've got to say, it's similar to trading in that only those people with the education and the discipline and the good habits make it to the big bucks. Cameron, tell us more what this statement means to you.
2: Well, well I heard, um, the first person I heard say that was a guy by the name of Neil, Neil Danaher, who's, who's now, who was a, um, as a player, he was an outstanding player, but had his career cut short through uh, a number of knee injuries. And he was probably on the cusp of being the best player in the game when when he when he suffered from these inju- these injuries. And it would be the sort of injury now that you know, he would have missed it half a season and would have come back and played. But uh, the way that you know, the, the surgery to athletes has changed. And then uh, he went on and he coached Melbourne. I appointed him as coach of Melbourne Football Club. And, and we went from being last on the ladder to playing uh, got within a game of a grand final in one year, but we lost, and and I thought that's the first time. I'd heard that statement. He said straight after the game, the game doesn't give up its rewards easily. Almost yeah. as though we, you know, we were last last year. We don't. You don't think they're just going to let us, you know, have our day in September oh. just because we want it. You know, it's it's something which goes deeper than that. And then now, Neil's fight, he's he's fighting motor neurone disease, oh. and so he's he's dealing with that now. And he set up his own his own uh, charity, and it's and it's been amazingly successful. and And I heard an interview with him. Uh, recently, where he was talking to the Melbourne players, another generation of young Melbourne players, and and the term that he used, uh, you know, people he said, because uh, he, he, his fate's inevitable with that type of disease, sadly, uh, and and he's asked often, why aren't you just um, working through your bucket list, and why aren't you just doing all these things that you know a, a dying man would would do, and uh, and his attitude is. Because you know, in the end, he said, "When, when it's all said and done, more is said than done." And I have the opportunity of doing here, and so that's now my purpose. And he's raised millions and millions of dollars for motor neurone research, whilst he's dealing with you know his body changing the way that you know that terrible disease does. And so the, so when I hear you mention that the game doesn't give up rewards, it's rewards easily. I I, I have three different but very related. Things come to mind of, of a great person in Neil Danaher. Neil Danaher, the athlete. Neil Danaher, the coach. And now, now, Neil Danaher. What would you put in as now? Uh, you know, a, a leader, a, a community leader, you know, dealing with a terrible disease in, in a way that I've never seen anyone go close to.
0: And stay tuned to hear part two of Cameron's interview next week. I'm Caroline Stephen. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.
1: Want to know the hottest sectors in the Aussie market? Now's your chance. Download my free Hot or Not special report from tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not. That website again, tradinggame.com.au slash hot or
2: not.